Amen. Amen. All right. You can be seated now. Some of you really would like to shake hands with everybody, wouldn't you? Pastor Doug, thank you this morning, worship team, for reminding us that there's someone by the name of Jesus who is in the midst of whatever, whatever circumstance we're in. I, I uh, return late Friday night from being in the Bahamas a couple of days, and sometimes when you tell people you've been in the Bahamas, they go, you lucky dog. But let me tell you, in this situation, it is, a, it is a tragic, tragic, devastating, decimating situation. And I, I hope that just because we're not seeing it all the time on the news, that we will not fail to remember our Bahamian brothers and sisters in Christ and that whole nation. They need, as, ever, as never before, they need us praying with them and standing with them and, and helping them uh, to restore what has been lost. Uh, I mean, when, when you look at the video footage and the pictures of Abaco and Marsh Harbor and Sandy Key and Grand Bahama, uh, Freeport, when you look at all that, ladies and gentlemen, it has been completely wiped out, especially down in Marsh Harbor. There are 2,500 undocumented Haitians who will never be accounted for. They lived in a little area called Mud and Pea. And those people are gone. And you'll probably not hear that on the news because they were undocumented. But I will tell you this, that the Haitians that I met with in the refugee and the evacuee centers uh, that, that had somehow escaped and got out, um, they were praising God and they were thanking God for being alive. I had one, late, one dear lady ask me to bring her son home with me a little boy, and uh, if I had, my wife would have shot me, I think. She would have said, why don't you bring five home? But um, we just really need to be praying. We need to be praying, and we need to do something. And I hope you'll pray for Agape Flights. We've been doing something the last couple of weeks, and we've got a lot of work to do. I, uh, someone said, aren't you, aren't you tired? Not yet, I'm not, because the job's not done. And the job has to be finished. And once that job gets finished, my wife and I are going to go somewhere, just me and her, uh, for a couple of days. And she's writing all this down. She's actually videotaping this right now, I guarantee you, because she's going to say, I'm going to hold you to that. But we've got a lot of work to do. First Baptist Church, we've got a lot of work to do. And I want to encourage you that your transition team is working. And uh, in October, we're going to be announcing, uh, prior to October, we want to sit down with you in some discussions, and we're going to give you two different opportunities. And you can come to both of them or just come to one of them, but we're going to give you those. Pastor John's going to announce those dates, and we're going to give you an opportunity to sit down with the transition team to, to really talk and gather together some more information. But they've been working, and they're a great team. They're doing a good job. Uh, I appreciate them so much. I appreciate your staff here. Pastor John, Pastor Doug, thank God for those guys. And, and, and oh man, I am just, amen. You should do that. You should do that. They are, they are wonderful, wonderful guys to, to work. They're, they're hardworking and, and they're doing a great job. And I appreciate them so very, very much. I, I appreciate the ladies in the staff. Judy, thank God for Judy. Uh, I mean, every, and I'm just, 
I'm just thankful. I'm thankful to be able to be here with you. Now, if you have your Bibles today, and we are going to jump into Scripture, uh, because today we're still in Jesus wants his church back. And I don't know, I don't know if you remember the, the old Seinfeld series. One of my favorite characters on the Seinfeld series was Kramer. You know, that hair that, and he, he's just, he's nuts, isn't he? He's just crazy. But, but he would always look at Jerry and sometimes he would say, ooh, I'm loving it. And he'd do that like that. And he'd, he'd add all that craziness to it. Well, this morning, we're going we're gonna to talk about lukewarm and loving it, okay? That's the best Kramer impersonation I can give you. <laughs> Revelation chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Verse 14. And I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Jesus is speaking, and he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The historic Notre Dame Cathedral heralded in 1323 the sun among stars, presides in, in architectural glory over a bend in the Seine River in the heart of Paris. Notre Dame's builders and artisans took almost 200 years to craft these towers. They, they have sweeping arches. They have stained glass. They have ornate uh, uh, fixtures, engravings. In 700 years, church leaders embellished it with magnificent bells. Revolutionaries ravaged it and patriots restored it. The once vibrant outside colors are now peeled and faded, leaving the familiar warm gray stone that is seen by almost 14 million visitors a year. The last year, we, the world sat and watched in disbelief as this historic cathedral caught fire, destroying and damaging a major portion of the roof and, and the interior. Even after this terrible event, more people are coming to see this edifice, most of them entering uh, the areas now allowed to visit, they will observe and they will exit within an hour under the gaze of centuries, old church leaders watching in silence from stone eyes. The visitors somehow leave awestruck, amazed, appreciative, and for the most part, unchanged. What is the difference between Notre Dame Cathedral and your typical First Baptist Church on any given Sunday, not much. Each week, people walk through the doors of beautiful church buildings constructed with the earnest intent to glorify and to worship God, and they observe and follow the motions, and then they walk out an hour later, most not without having their spiritual lives ignited in any meaningful way. Ladies and gentlemen, it should not be that way. Christians seem to want to attend church, but not necessarily follow Jesus. 
You see, when given a choice, the vast majority of people will take lukewarm over hot or cold every time. Why do we, why do we choose lukewarm? Because it's comfortable. But settling for comfortable will paralyze your spiritual life for an eternity. That's why so many Christians are anemic spiritually. Some of you are looking at me real spiritual right now. Say, oh man, he's come to beat us up. No, I haven't. I've come to tell you the truth because many, many folks don't take the Bible seriously. Not because of any theological conviction, but simply because it makes them uncomfortable. The Bible makes me uncomfortable all the time. Working with the poor or the homeless or connecting with people who are different. It's the way we say it. Takes us outside of our comfort zones. Ladies and gentlemen, I walked into your transition team meeting last Sunday night. And there were two people right outside of these doors laying on the pavers. They needed something to eat. It was, it was 94 degrees. My heart, I looked at Mike Goldie, he was, he was coming in with me. I, I said, Mike, I, I, I gotta do something. I gotta feed these people. And so I, I called my wife as I was on the way to Kentucky Fried Chicken. I said, I want you to know, if you check the debit card, I'm not buying it for me. Because she don't want me eating Kentucky Fried Chicken. I like Kentucky Fried Chicken, but it doesn't like me. It does bad things to me. But ladies and gentlemen, my point is this. When we are taken outside of our comfort zone, sharing our faith, tithing, giving, serving, caring, stretching, connecting, praying are all essential for a living faith, but often they don't happen usually because they are too risky. It's inconvenient. It's difficult. We would rather put our faith in neutral, give in to compromise, and settle for a lifeless, boring faith than experience the kind of discomfort that creates growth. The amazing thing is this. Almost no one starts out that way. Few of us, few brand new Christians are ever lukewarm. Most of us, when we first came to Christ, Man, we had this vibrant faith. It was, it was fresh. It was new. The Bible was an open discovery book. It was so stunning to us. And we were stunned by the amazing grace of God. And, and we couldn't wait to, to help friends experience what had happened to us. And then something happens. The romance with God turns to routine and delight turns to disillusionment and enjoying God is replaced by enduring life and, an, and another church attending cross-wearing lukewarm Christian is somehow produced. What happened? We have fallen prey to one or more of the seven things that will destroy spiritual growth and health and life and vibrancy. This morning, I want to share with you real quickly the seven habits, habits of highly defective Christians. There's probably more that I could give you. 
But if you've got your notes, I want you to follow along with me. I want you to write these down. Number one, undeveloped faith. The Bible says this in Matthew 10, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. The fastest growing religion in America is not Christianity. According to researchers, the fastest growing faith, especially within the younger portions of our population, is something they have identified as moralistic therapeutic deism. It is so persuasive, it, it's shaping the faith of Christians whether they know it or not. MTD, as it is called, has three components. Moralistic means that God wants people to be morally good and kind to people. Not a problem with that, do you? I don't have a problem with that. The problem is, is pinning this down. What does goodness look like? Therapeutic means the central goal to be healthy, happy, and feel good about yourself. Mm. What exactly does appropriate health and happiness look like? And then the deism means there is a little g, a God who exists, but he isn't necessarily involved in your daily life. The MTD God doesn't really place demands on us, but it is always available when we have a problem. So many churches and those who attend them are embracing MTD. Candidly, the religion, this religion clashes head on with Jesus, who said things the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many, MTD declares, you don't have to sacrifice. You don't have to listen to the tough stuff Jesus said. This is a direct clash with the teachings of Jesus who said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here this morning to bring good news, but I want to share with you that if you come to Christ and you truly follow him, you're going to have challenges and problems and difficulties. But the Bible says, be of good cheer. I have overcome those. We're not in the fire by ourselves. By the way, if you're not ever in the fire, it probably means you're very, very lukewarm. Boy, it got quiet. You see, undeveloped faith. So many people that I meet will tell me, 40 years ago I came to Christ, Pastor. I'm so happy I did that, but, but I'm waiting. What's happened in the last 40? You see, I'm glad you came to Christ 40 years ago, but what has Jesus done for you this morning? What has he done for you in the last few days? What, what are you anticipating him doing today and tomorrow? The second thing is uncommitted hearts. Matthew 15 verse 8 says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Imagine head coach Dabo Sweeney from Clemson. I know some of you are not, not Clemson fans, but you'll get right with Jesus one of these days. Imagine Dabo gathering his team together and challenging them by saying, guys, we're, we're going for another championship this year. Man, we're going. Let me tell you what it's going to take. I'm going to need every one of you to give a 50% effort. Some of you will get that later. 
Imagine, imagine a guy standing in front of his bride at the altar and saying, I promise to honor you and cherish you. And I promise before God and these witnesses to be faithful to you pretty much most of the time. Well, that guy wouldn't live to get off the altar. None of us would settle for that attitude in any other area of life. It is so amazing that we tolerate it spiritually. Ladies and gentlemen, some of you sitting in this room have never surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. And you like it that way. Because you can come in and do your Sunday morning thing and walk out and you can smile at everybody at your workplace or wherever you live and you can say, man, I'm a member of First Baptist Church of Bradenton. I, I'm, I'm, I'm it. But you see, it's not, being, it's not a matter of being a member of this church. It's a matter of being a part of the body of Christ. And it's a matter of living a life of service and sacrifice. God doesn't want 10%. He doesn't even want 50%. He doesn't even want your 99%. He wants all of your life. He wants all of my life. Number three, undeveloped character. God's goal is for you and me to become like Jesus. Romans 8, 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What this means is this, as remarkable, unselfish, kingdom-centered, and incredible as Jesus Christ himself was, that is what God intends for all of us to become. You say, preacher, you, 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 really, you really believe that with all my heart. We are to be the image in this lost and desperate world of who Christ is. And you know what? You don't have to shove a 40-pound family Bible on somebody to witness to them. And, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't have to. That's one of the things that, that I'm so conscious and aware of today. So many times people associate, you know, they associate terminologies with things that aren't so. For instance, you know, when I go to witness someone, I don't imme immediately, you know, have a Bible in my hand and, you know, look at somebody, turn or burn, sanctified or french fried, praise or blaze, man. You know, that's not the way you witness. How you witness to them is you develop a relationship so that they know what you're talking to them about is real. Because they see it. So much of the time, our witnessing efforts, and, and I'm going to tell you, it's uncomfortable just kind of cold turkey witnessing to someone. But as you grow, as you begin to talk with someone, and there are times when immediately upon meeting someone and I establish rapport with them, I'll share with them because I've only got an opportunity one time. But most of the time, the people that I'm trying to witness to, I am knowing on an ongoing basis. Students, the, the people you go to school with every day, your teachers, your, 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 your fellow students, uh, people that you work with, ladies and gentlemen, folks that you live around, your neighbors, you know them, they watch you. You've got to develop a relationship, a relationship that cares about them. Then, fourthly, unrepentant lifestyles. I don't like the word repent, do you? 
I don't like that word. But most of us have settled for a faith that comforts us, but it doesn't challenge us or change us. There are three types of people, people who know God, people who don't know God, and people who know God but live like they don't know God. Repentance is one of God's greatest gifts. Why do I say that? Because repentance is the opportunity to get free from your past. I've watched people all my life, and and, and can I tell you something? I was one of those people too. I, I couldn't get past my past. I said, what are you talking about? You were raised in a parsonage. You're a preacher's kid. You, you have the perfect, oh, you don't know. But you see, the Bible says there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I got, when the Bible says if we, first, if, 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 we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. That means that he buries our sin in the deepest part of the ocean to be remembered no more. So we can get past our past. You can change your future. You can break these bad habits. You can heal your image of God and your image of yourself. Some of you, like me, for many years, never viewed myself very in a, in a healthy way because I was always trying to live up. I was always trying to to impress, I was always trying to, to get God to love me and like me a lot more. And can I tell you something? God loved me in my worst condition as much as he was ever going to love me. And that's the way he loves you. I don't have to impress God. I just got to love him and follow him and obey him and do what he, but, but I have a good, good father. He loves me. We need to heal that image of God in your image of yourself and then make an impact. You can do something that you've never dreamed about, that you could never ever think or imagine for the Lord Jesus Christ, for the kingdom. Repentance is one of the great gifts of God, yet it requires humility because it starts with saying to God, I am wrong, you are right, and I will submit. I want you to get that. I want you to get that. I want you to say that with me. Just say, I am wrong. You are right. And I will submit. You know what happens when we do that? A brand new beginning starts right then. Number five. Remember, these are, these are what we find in Highly defective Christians, unread Bibles. Unread Bibles lead to undernourished, underdeveloped Christians, and the starting point for living well is thinking well. Paul wrote this to the Roman Christians Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect will. The big question for the Romans and also for us today is this How do we live a transformed life living in a not at all transformed world? Where do we find wisdom? 
Where do we find strength? Where do we find encouragement to live a God-honoring life? And the key to changing your life is to change the way you think. And to change the way you think, you've got to get into his word. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I know that people all over America want pastors to be preaching on how to become a better dad and how to become a better husband. Or, or they want pastors to preach on how to become a better wife. And, and I'm gonna tell you something. I think there's, there's room in the spectrum for all of those things, but I'm gonna tell you something. If you really are serious and you wanna know how to become a better person, start reading the, the book. Start reading the word. Just, I dare you, take Ephesians chapter one and, and it will tell you, begin to just, and, and this, is not, this, is, this is not original to me. People have been doing this a long time, but go to Ephesians chapter one and every time it says who you are, just, just circle that. You heard that in, that in that movie, Breakthrough or whatever it was called the other time. Overcomer, yeah, Breakthrough, Overcomer. Alan's tired. <laughs> but you get my point. The big question and the key to changing your life is to change the way you think. Believer, who are you? Number six, unresolved conflicts. Mm. When we don't forgive, you know what happens? Anger and resentment start to control our emotions. And when they control our emotions, they begin to control our lives. We have to let go. Can I be real candid with you this morning? Most of the hurts of my life, most of the, the real pain in my life emotionally has never come from the world. It's come from the church. People in the church. People who were mean, mean-spirited, self-seeking, prideful. But can I be honest with you? I've been one of those people at times, too. I've been one of those people. And I pray, I pray God will never allow me to return to that point and, and to that, that destination in my life again. We have to let go. If you have someone that you have not forgiven, I'm going to tell you, you're not going to go forward with God until you get rid of that. But pastor, you don't understand what that person did. Let it go. Forgive them in Jesus' name and move on because you cannot ever get past your past until you do that. But man, if you'll let it go, if you'll forgive them, even to the point of if you go to them and say, listen, we may not ever resolve this, we may not, but I'm coming to you asking for you to forgive me because I've held this against you for a long, long time. There's freedom in that, ladies and gentlemen. Man, when you get rid of that, you get rid of the unresolved conflicts. Man, it's, it's, it's like this. I, I'm gonna tell you, and I'm, I'm getting old. I really am, but I'm learning my wife, bless her heart, most of the time, she's right. Now, you noticed how I said that. I didn't say all the time. But most of the time, she's right. 
But I know her well enough to know that when I'm being stubborn and obstinate and prideful, and she has this way, God gave it to her, bless her heart, she can look at me and she cannot say a word. And it's like the, the eyes of the Holy Spirit are just kind of going, Pow. You know, I got to tell you, as a man, and this is the way we're built, but we don't like to say, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. But men, listen to me. When we do that, when we are wrong, when we just own up to it and say, I I'm wrong. Please forgive me. Man, life around the house is a lot better when we don't have any conflict, when, when communication is right, when we're living right. I'll, I'll move on because some of you are getting worried. But <laughs> Last thing is this, unused gifts. God's plan. God's plan is for you to commit your life to Christ. But that's not the end of the plan. You know, sometimes, we, and I've heard it around here, share Jesus. That's great. We need to share Jesus. But we also need to teach people then to discover their gifts. We have to disciple them. Spend your life making a maximum impact on your world and then arrive in heaven where, where a great crowd will hear God shout, well done! Man, that's what I want to hear. Can you imagine me coming through the gates and God going, Hey, Alan, well done! Good job, buddy! I just don't want to get up there and hear him say, Alan, what in the world were you thinking? <laughs> Some of you better get busy. All of us better get busy. Scripture is crystal clear. The call of Christ is the call of service. It's not the call of control. It's not the call of being the church boss. It's not being on this or being it or being. No, it is called to service every follower of Christ. And by the way, deacons are servants of the church. That's what the word means. They're to care for the flock. They're to, they're to care for the pastor. They're to hold his arms up and to care for him and to minister to him. Every follower of Christ has one or more spiritual gifts. Do you know that? Man, that's, that's usually where it all goes south because 80 to 90% of every person's, 80% 80, 80 of you right now in this worship center don't know what your spiritual gift is. And I'm so sorry because that's not your fault. That's, that's the church's fault. We should have helped you understand that. But listen, some of you, some of you think you have the gift, uh, you know, you, you have a, when, when in fact you don't have that gift. I can remember talking one day to a lady that clearly had the gift of hospitality. She could, she could take those little snack pack meals and make them a banquet. That was her gift. She could, she could do anything. But her gift was never getting up in front of people 
because she didn't have that gift of teaching. I mean, she could, she could empty a class out in a heartbeat. And by the way, some of you think you have the gift. I'm just going to, this is edification right now. Some of you think you have the gift of music. You don't. Because <laughs> I've stood by you and heard you sing. And I know the Bible says make a joyful noise and you're doing just that. But don't ask to be on the praise team. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm messing with you a little bit. We're not being used the way God intended. Some of you are administrative geniuses. And the church just kind of watches you go by. We need you. Organizers. Some of you are just workers. You're just going to get it done. We've got to have you. Some of you, yes, indeed, are disciplers. You can take somebody and take them for eight, nine months and disciple them and help them to grow. There's so many, so many gifted people, but, but we don't know where and we don't allow ourselves to be plugged in where God has gifted us. Several years ago, I got a phone call from a, a parent regarding her daughter. I was a student pastor at the time, and her daughter was a student there in our church. And the mother explained to me that the, the daughter was physically in trouble. Her heart was beating double time, and they were at the hospital. I arrived there at that emergency room, and, and I'll never forget, Teresa was right there. The doctors had concluded that it was necessary to shock her heart in order to restart it. Now, let me tell you, at that particular time in my life, that was, that was just absolutely foreign to me. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna put an electrical charge in this girl's heart and, and restart it. Now that I've had a son that has, has, has a heart condition, he has a, a defib pacemaker in his chest, I understand that full well because I've seen it work. And I thank God for that technology because it saved his life on numerous occasions. But when I'm standing in this, in this emergency room back many, many years ago, some, for some reason the doctors knew me and they asked me if I'd like to stay in the room with the mother while they did the procedure. And I suppose I would have felt better having the pastor there, but you know, the lead pastor, but I did it reluctantly. And they hooked this girl up to these machines and they put these pads on her. You could see, man, the machines, the power was building and the nurses announced, all clear, man, I, I put my hands down because I thought, man, this power is going to come all over this place. And the push of one little tiny button, that shock started. And the doctor pushed that button, and the girl's body began to shake immediately. And as I watched the monitor, I saw that heartbeat flatline. And then the heart started working again with even rhythmic beats the heart was reset. It was no longer double beating. And so far as I know, her heart, by the way, is still working fine. She's probably now in her 50s. I walked out of that hospital that day as a young student pastor, and I wondered, wouldn't it be great if we could get a machine like that hooked up to our church? Wow. We could heal hearts by pushing a button. What does it take to reset and restart a church? Individuals in that church. Over the next several weeks, we're going to begin to discover now as a church how to reset 
and restart. So that purpose and vision and mission are not only understood, but, but become central to, to our lives and to the life of this body. I desire, I want First Bradenton to be filled with highly effective Christians, don't you? I want this church to be known as a place that is not only efficient and effective, but impactful in this community. I want this church to be known as a church where Jesus is praised and worshiped, where the Bible is accurately and wonderfully taught and preached, and where people's lives are being transformed for the glory of God. Today, I want you to stand with me right now. Everyone standing. I don't want you to bow your heads or close your eyes. The worship team's gonna come. I want us in one voice and in one accord. There's gonna be a verse up here. Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51, verse 10. I want us to say this together. I want us to say it with some fervor. I want it to mean something to every one of us today. Say this with me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. I want you today to ask God to create in you a clean heart. You know what that takes? Repentance. And then I want you to ask God to fill you, to fill you with his Holy Spirit. You say, wait a minute, preacher, I, I'm a Baptist. I believe that once I got the Holy Spirit, I got all I was ever going to get. Well, then you haven't read the scripture. You got sealed by the Spirit, but the Bible says in Ephesians that we should be filled. And the, the word there in the Greek language means continuously being filled. On and on, that's right. So when's the last time you were filled? You know, it's kind of like taking your car and saying, you know, I filled that thing up with gas. I don't have to do it again. Unless you've got one of those electric cars now, you know. But, but I'm telling you, be filled with the Spirit, and then I want to be in your presence, Lord. We need his presence. And then restore unto me, Lord, give me the joy, the joy of my salvation, the joy. Let's pray.